Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. The Bears passing game on track. Bring to Matt Eberflus, it is. Sports Talk Chicago here with John's Glow. Appreciate you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears content from myself and other content creators, including Corey Wooten, Clay Harbor, and Joey Christopoulos. Follow us all over the place at Sports Talk Chicago and make sure you support our sponsor, Amish Country Farms in Orland Park. Matt Eberflus is voicing his confidence in Justin Fields in a new quote yesterday after the Bears finished up some mini camp. He said that, quote, the Bears' passing attack is on track after the offseason. He was asked about um, the passing game. He said it's a work in progress, but then he went on to say this longer quote. I think we're on track. I really do. I really feel good where we are. We've spent a lot of time and attention on that as well, and we're going to continue doing that during training camp. To me, it's great to have those seven-on-sevens where you can work on the rhythm, the timing of it, work on your pass coverage as well. We're going to continue to do that. Like you guys said yesterday, we have guys that weren't in there, Claypool, Mooney, different guys that weren't in there. that We're going to have to catch up on that, so we're going to continue to do that. And he's referencing Mooney and Claypool having some injuries so far and being sidelined during these seven-on-sevens. But a very encouraging quote for Matt Eberflus, to say the least. And really, it contradicts a report we did a week ago, that one coming from Adam Hogue over at CHGO, that Justin feels had a bad day at camp. Saw a lot of your comments and hatred on that video. Hey, I'm just the news guy. I'm just reporting what I saw and giving you my opinion. And the fact is, if camp was as bad as Adam Hogue said it was for Justin Fields, then guess what? He's in big trouble. And that's not a controversial opinion. Why can't we critique players? I just don't get it. There is no hidden agenda here. If Justin Fields sucks, we're going to talk about it. If he does great, we're going to talk about that too. Hearing these words from Matt Eberflus, hearing this renewed vote of confidence in Fields is amazing, encouraging, and something I think everybody was waiting to hear and waiting to see. All the reports came out last week. Justin Fields had a bad practice. He is holding out of the ball too long. He's not as easily able to just throw the football and move forward. He's taking too much time to process things in the pocket. And everything calmed down. Took about a couple of days. No one said anything. Then we get this report from Matt Eberflus. Here's one thing we know over the past week and a half, and it's pretty telling. Nobody knows blank until the games actually occur. We're getting conflicting reports from reporters and head coaches, and Matt Eberflus's quotes don't exonerate Justin Fields. Of course, as the head coach and really the head PR person for the team, he's going to sing praises about Justin Fields. I'm not there. We're not there. We don't know exactly what's going on. The Bears prohibit video even during these mini camps and during some training camps. We won't know anything for the first six games of the season. Not going to kill Justin Fields after one bad game opening day. We're going to give him six or seven games to see how he does in year two of this same offense with this same head coach, same GM, and a ton of weapons now at his disposal. My guess, 
was the following and will continue to be the following. 3,500 passing yards, almost 4,000 maybe. 1,000-plus rushing yards and 30 touchdowns. I think those numbers are achievable for Justin Fields in 2023. So you guys conveniently forget about that part of last week's video. <laughs> I really believe he can hit those numbers. And I think all this talking and all this reporting is meant to stir up emotion. And that's fine with me. I'm a pretty emotional guy. I love talking about Bad reports, good reports, and feeding into it and learning about it, understanding it more, looking into it. But at the end of the day, we're not going to know anything till week one, week two, week five, week six. We'll know by week six how ready Justin Fields is in this system with new weaponry, how good he is, how much he's improved, if he's really the guy, and can he show more progress in this year for him. I think that's really the key. But hearing this from Matt Eberflus certainly does not hurt his case. Again, Eberflus said, quote, I think we're on track. I really do. I really feel good where we are. That's all you could say. That's all you could hear from your head coach at this point in the quote-unquote season. It's June, minicamp going on. We're not even at training camp yet. We're not even near game one yet, or preseason even. We're in the dog days of summer where there's not much to talk about. Maybe that's why all that came up from Adam Hogue or all these headlines were stirred up by some of the Bears media. Everyone's looking for a story right now. Everyone's looking to explain what they see and understand it, and of course with no video evidence at all because it's banned by the Bears, it's going to lead to more scrutiny and speculation. Nobody knows anything except the people there watching. I could believe and understand Justin Fields hesitating a bit, still having hesitation issues in the pocket. Not because he's a bad quarterback, but because new personnel on the field. And as we saw here, Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool are still really not practicing. So he still has guys down, trying to learn this continued offense in year two and trying to work with the guys he's been given today, like forming the connection with D.J. Moore, which there have been tons of positive stories about that, how great they've had a connection with one another already. There are good things that we're seeing out of Bears camp. It's not all bad. And this quote from Matt Eberflus, although probably fluffed up for PR purposes, could very well be true. And I do agree or tend to agree that this Bears team is right on track. There's not much you could say at this point to indicate that they're off track or there's no progress or there are issues. We don't know yet. We could say definitively week six if Justin Fields is just sneaking it up and this Bears team's 0-6, yeah, there ain't no progress. But at this point, when all we have is minicamp, no video even, there's not much we could do or say other than, okay, things seem to be going all right. If there's an issue, we'll find out about it. And everything will show eventually in games. And that's the part that we have to understand and remember. All this right now is just talk, back and forth. Reporters, coaches, Justin Fields, wide receivers, everybody's talking, talking, talking. We will see results, good or bad, during the season. And we'll know who's telling the truth and who isn't during the season. The games will show 
what the hell was really going on today and what's going on come the 2023 season. And until then, we have to speculate, we have to listen, we have to see how things play out. And that's it. We will know during the season if everything's really on track or not. If Justin Fields continues to hesitate or not. If these weapons are disconnecting or connecting with Justin Fields. We'll know all of this throughout the first six weeks. We're not going to sugarcoat anything here either, as you know. You should know that by now. I'm not afraid to criticize Justin Fields. I'm not afraid to give him praise either if he does great. There are loftier expectations for him and for this Bears team in 2023, but I think they're justified. Quotes like this also prove it, right? I think we're on track. I feel good where we are. Great. Then let's see it translate week one, week five, week six, week ten. Let's see this Bears team do what they're supposed to do this year, which is contend for a wild card spot, if not make a wild card spot. That's what we need to see. That's what we need to anticipate. Anything less is a failure. We have to anticipate a huge step in the right direction for this team. We're hearing reports, we're seeing reports about DJ Moore and Justin Fields. Even in this article, although the focus was Matt Eberflus, it does say the connection between Fields and Moore has been the talk during the offseason program, the talk of the town. The great connection between Justin Fields and D.J. Moore. I think D.J. Moore is going to have a breakout season in 2023 because he's actually been given a real quarterback for once. So we are going to see progress. We are going to see things moving forward in the right direction. That's the consoling part. But as we sit here today, yes, there have been conflicting reports, and we will have to wait and see who's right and who's wrong. It's that simple. But I will say I do believe Adam Hogue, to an extent, I do believe that there is some hesitation for Fields. There was last year. It's not all going to go away in five months. Oh, new season, new players, five months later, better be better. No. He's going to have to take time to get better, going to have to take time to get used to this weaponry and understand how to improve as a quarterback in year three of the NFL. What does that look like for him? I think everything's at where it should be at up to this point. These are great quotes from Eberflus. This is encouraging for Justin Fields and for Bears fans in general. But I would just say to anybody who's going to go all in on these or Adam Hoag's comments or really anybody else's comments, even mine, we have to wait till the season. We have to understand, put these comments in context when we see performance in games. That's when we'll know who's done great, who's telling the truth, and who's not living up to expectations. That's when we'll know. And until then, all of this is hearsay. All of it's fun to debate and discuss. All of it's fun to argue with on YouTube comments and on Twitter. But at the end of the day, we don't know anything yet. So stop pretending like you do or other people do. Even Matt Eberflus, he could be saying something just for the public image. We don't know what's exactly going on each and every day in camp, yet we will soon, and we'll see it on the field. And personally, I think it's almost a non-story if Justin Fields, even as a bad training camp, I want to see what he does in the season. He could have the worst training camp, the worst preseason in NFL history. He could go 
for 7, 7 picks, and that's the end of his preseason. Then come out in the regular season and tear it up. I want to see what he does in the regular season. That's all that matters to me. I don't care what he does in minicamp, what he does in training camp, what he does in the preseason. I want to see real results and real games. That's when I'll know if things are going according to plan, if they're on track. And that's it. That's the only thing that we should do in order to judge all these comments from all these different places. What does the in-game performance say? Are the Bears winning games? Is Justin Fields improving? Are they putting up more points? Is their offense improved from year to year? That's how we'll know if they're on track or not. Everything else that's being said has no bearing on anything. In-game performance will tell the story. It's as simple as that. Well, now it's confirmed. The Bears are in the market for edge rushers. Sports Talk Chicago, here with John's Glow. Appreciate you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago Bears content. Also from content creators on this channel, on this network, like Clay Harbor, Joey Christopoulos, and Corey Wooten. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and help out our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. This is not a drill, people. This is not a joke. This is not a prank. It comes from CBS Sports and really comes from the mouth of Matt Eberflus. Here's the headline, Bears head coach Matt Eberflus acknowledges team is still looking to add edge rushers prior to training camp. By the way, the Bears had only 20 sacks last year, last in the NFL. 24.4% pressure rate dead last in the NFL. We've been talking about this for months, really. We've talked about it before the draft, after the draft, part of this free agency period, and now it comes up again. The Bears need edge rushers. It's no secret. (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty apparent that this team had a horrible pass rush last year. 20 sacks, 24.4% pressure rate, worst in football. The Bears have always been known for their defense. Now, Robert Quinn had 19 and a half sacks just two years ago. They had 20 sacks last year as a whole team. What a joke. They need rushing, pass rushing help. Eberplus said that I think that is one position we are looking at and potentially we could get that done. He's referring to the edge rusher position. A couple of players who the Bears could be tied to. One of them who has really popped up in intense rumors the past week is Yannick Ngakwe. Started in the league in 2016. Listen to this list. Players with eight-plus sacks in each of their first seven seasons of their career. Yannick Ngakwe is on there along with Aaron Donald, Demarcus Ware, Derek Thomas, and Reggie White. Three of those guys are in the Hall of Fame, and Aaron Donald is going to retire and be in the Hall of Fame. And Ngakwe is on that list, and he is available. So that's pretty exciting, and somebody who the Bears should probably be targeting. Other players who are out there but are unfortunately a bit older include Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram, Carlos Dunlap, Jason Pierre-Paul, Jadavian Clowney, and, yeah, Robert Quinn. Doubt there's going to be a reunion there. But he is available should Ryan Poles and company want to go down that route again. I doubt they'll give him the contract that Ryan Pace gave him, though. The point being, these are exciting comments to hear, and this is something the Bears fans have been clamoring for, and obviously this team has needed for more than just the past couple of months. It's been a need all season. It's been a need from 2022, even from... This time last year in training camp and mini camp. Clearly. 
what boggles my mind is this, and I know the Bears were rebuilding last year. I know things weren't perfect, but this team has always been known for their defense, their pass rush, their ability to force takeaways. Think about 2006, 1985, all these great teams and all these great defenses. And now the Bears are worst in football and sacks and pressure percentage? That just sounds wrong. That just, it doesn't make any sense. This team has lost its identity, partially. And again, I know they were rebuilding. I know they were tanking. They were losing on purpose. But whether they're going 6-11 and 11 or 13-4, and four, this team has always been known year in and year out to have an amazing defense. It's always the offense that lets the Bears down. Even in years past, no quarterback, great defense. Oh, they suck. Too bad. I find it mind-boggling. I find it odd. I just find it plain wrong that this team had the worst pass rush in all of football last year. Kind of went under the radar. We were so worried about Justin Fields, so worried about no weaponry, so worried about this team tanking and the number one overall pick. We forgot, and I forgot, to mention these statistics or to look into this more throughout the season. This is a sad statistic. 20 sacks? That's it? Literally, in 2021, Robert Quinn matched that single-handedly. <laughs> he was one away from what they did last year. It's horrible. Positive is, though, that there is a need, that it, it is identified and acknowledged by the front office, by the head coach and this Bears team. And it needs to be. My goodness. The other positive is, too, that there are other players available. Now, the Bears have made a couple of moves, which is worth noting. Rasheem Green was signed by the Bears, a one-year $2.5 million contract, 17 career sacks in five NFL seasons. They also added Demarcus Walker, six-year NFL event with 19 and a half sacks in his career. But both of them are not necessarily edge rushers. They're defensive linemen, defensive ends. Not necessarily known for sacking the quarterback. There are guys out there, as I mentioned, especially in Gakwe, who are just known for sacks, who are known to pressure and terrorize quarterbacks. So although those two signings are not horrible, they're not going to hurt the team necessarily, Green and Walker, in Gakwe or Clowney, even Melvin Ingram, those are names that would certainly help the Bears pass rush today, right now. And it would propel them from being last, maybe mid-level, just by signing one or two of those players. It's possible. The Bambit right now, in my opinion, is Ngakwe. He is younger, and he's done significant things in his first seven years. I mean, I, I read you that list. Aaron Donald, Demarcus Ware, Derek Thomas, Reggie White, Yannick Ngakwe. All those other guys, those four Hall of Famers. And Ngakwe quietly is on that list. If he's available... You throw the kitchen sink at him and get him now. You need it. You are in need. You're not in a position to negotiate. You're not in a position to play hardball. Make the move and help out your team because this is one of the bigger gaps the Bears have left. And I've said this all offseason. I'm happy for Ryan Poles. I'm happy with what he's done. I really don't have much to criticize about the moves he's made this offseason. He set up Justin Fields for success. He's directly and indirectly invested in him. Made the big move for D.J. Moore, traded the number one pick, parlayed that into a number of picks, signed tons of players in free agency on both sides of the football, 
spent significant amounts of money, the last thing the Bears need is edge rusher help. The one thing that the Bears have not improved upon that is and was one of the worst things in football is their pass rush. It's the last thing Ryan Poles needs to do. Here's your opportunity to do it. Here's your opportunity to have an A-plus offseason. Right now, it's like an A-minus, maybe flat A. This could make it A-plus. Bring in an edge rusher. Do what you need to do to improve every aspect of your team. Well-rounded team. Make this team go from worst in everything to now improved in everything, not just one thing sticking behind and staying there. 20 sacks and 24.4% pressure rate is mediocre, it's atrocious. I wish it was mediocre, it's atrocious. And that also explains, and again, I know they were tanking, but this explains why so many teams ran up so many points in the Bears' defense last year. When you cannot pressure the quarterback at all, when you cannot apply any sort of pressure and can barely even sack him, and he has 10 seconds to throw the football in the pocket, well, of course your opponent's going to put up 30 points a game. Of course your secondary is going to be tired out. Of course, more receivers are going to break free, find ways to get open, and go all the way for the touchdown. It's natural. When there's no pass rush, everybody suffers. This is the one thing that really hurt the Bears last year more than anything defensively. Now they have a chance to address it and prevent this from being a problem this year. And if the Bears could simply shore up their defense to the point where they're not giving up 30 points a game, but maybe 20, let's say, conservatively speaking, there would be a big improvement in the Bears' win-loss total. If the Bears, even last year, only gave up 20 or even 22 points per game on average, they would have won more games, guaranteed. This year, with the offensive pieces you've brought in to bolster your offense, your scoring opportunities are going to go way up. Your points per game are going to go way up. You bring down the points you give up by actually pressuring quarterbacks, and just by pure logic, this team's going to win many more games than three. This team's going to be in the wild card hunt. This team could be in the division race. So the positive is this could be a pretty simple shift, a simple signing, and it could turn into massive dividends for Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, and this Bears team. So it's encouraging to know that they see a need, that they're willing to publicly acknowledge it. Now the question is, what are you going to do to make it happen? You got some time here till training camp. Make it happen. Do something to bring in Yannick Ngakwe and company. And I say and company because there are other guys out there, although they're older, they bring them in on a one- or two-year deal, they can also help you. If there's money left to spend, which there is, salary cap-wise, do that too. How about Ngakwe and Jadavian Clowney? Ngakwe and Melvin Ingram. My goodness. What a pass rush for next year. Just with those two, let alone what the Bears have. This is exciting for the Bears. This is something that they should be targeting. And it's something that I think could get done, which is encouraging. Just think about how much better they're going to be if they just had a competent pass rush. If they were middle of the tier, if they go from 32nd to 17th, and they're just a mid-level pass rush, and they give up 5 or 10 points less than last year on average, and their offense, as we know, has already improved. Just playing the numbers game. This Bears team could win 9 or 10 games based on that and that alone. 
And that's the last part of this team that they really have to improve. They haven't really addressed yet. They've done so many good things this offseason. They put so much money into their offense, so much money into their linebacking core. They drafted wisely. This is it. This is all they have to do. Ryan Pauls, make the move. Is Pedro Grafol on the hot seat? Sports Talk Chicago. Here with John's Glow. Appreciate you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago sports content. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and support our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. This is not a drill, and I kind of thought this was going to happen, but now we're seeing reports from John Heyman specifically over at the New York Post and MLB Network that Pedro Grafol could be a one-and-done manager. He didn't want to miss Rick Hahn's response to that, though. This was unbelievable. Quote, apparently there was a very well-respected out-of-town reporter speculating about Pedro's job security on a local sports station, i.e. 670 The Score. This underperformance that we've had so far, or any of the issues we've had thus far in this season, is not on Pedro and on the coaching staff. I don't think we could have been more clear about that. For once, I agree. And I agree with Burkhan. The problem is, is this quote going to translate to results? More on that in a second. The White Sox obviously are not in the best position, despite being four and a half games out in the AL Central. They're nine games under 500 as of this taping. Things have not gone according to plan, but the question remains, and Sox fans, you could chime in, is Pedro Grafol to blame for what's happened to the White Sox? And I've made videos about this before. I'm going to reiterate this point. He's not. And there should be... No speculation, nor talk about firing for Pedro Grafal. You all know how I felt about Tony LaRusso on this team and then essentially being fired, although it was an amicable parting of ways. The White Sox last year were atrocious. and You could blame Tony LaRusso for some of the mistakes he made, but at the end of the day, the team didn't damn perform. And now we sit here again, and they're not performing. How could you, in your right mind, blame Pedro Grafal for the issues this team has been facing, for their underperformance, for the struggles on the mound and at the plate. This whole team, top to bottom, all the way around, has been horrible. They have two, maybe three quality hitters, one quality starting pitcher, and a bullpen that only recently has found its foundation, has found its identity. They should be doing a lot better They should be leading this division. If Minnesota, who, according to this taping, is two games under 500, is leading it, there's no reason why the White Sox shouldn't be. This AL Central division is a battle of who doesn't want to win it, apparently, because every team in the division is under 500, and there are four teams within four games of the top spot, and they're all under 500. There's no excuse why this White Sox team should not be leading it or why any team in this division should not be leading the division. This is not a Pedro Grafola issue. This is a player issue. And Rick Hahn is right. My fear. And my question is, does it even matter? Is Rick Hahn being a PR piece? This report came from John Heyman, and John Heyman is a credible source. If he believes Pedro Grafol is a one-and-done manager, then chances are he may be. And if that were to happen, that would be a grave mistake on behalf of the White Sox. It'd be dumb, it'd be stupid, it'd be short-sighted, and it would not punish the people who truly have put this team in the position, which is everybody but Grafol. He inherited this team, didn't have much to do with it. 
Rick Conn already made it. Jerry Reinsdorf already signed off on it. Kenny Williams is making the moves from behind the scenes. And these players aren't damn performing. This is not a Pedro Graffoli issue. So seeing a report like this is ridiculous. If there's any ounce of truth to it whatsoever, that's going to be a shameful firing for the White Sox. Pedro Graffoli should not go anywhere, nor should he be blamed for the struggles this team has faced. It's not his fault that Tim Anderson's one of the worst qualified hitters in baseball. It's not his fault that Lance Lynn is an ERA above six. <laughs> it's not his fault that this entire team, with the exception of three or four hitters, have OPS pluses under 100. Each individual player is responsible for his performance and for his effort level, too. Griffold was right to bench Luis Robert for not hustling early in the season. And he's right to discipline his players when he sees less than 100% effort, considering this team is certainly in a division and playoff race. Whether they like it or not, they're in it still. How could you say Andrew Griffold could be a one-and-done manager? Why? For what? This reminds me of Rick Renteria and what happened to him not only with the Cubs, but with the White Sox, too. I'm not saying Rick Renteria is an amazing manager, but he did show progress with both those teams. And in both cases, he got fired for somebody with more experience and more pedigree. Who are the Sox going to hire in replacement of Pedro Graffol? I mean, who would you even consider? You're not going to go the Tony route again. Who else is out there who is just so high up on the hierarchy, who has done so much in baseball, who's won World Series or won playoff games and has a winning record, who you could bring in to replace Pedro Graffol? And by the way, whoever you brought in, would they necessarily win? Look at Tony La Russa, Hall of Fame manager, one of the greatest managers in baseball history, and he was fired because they won 500 last year. It's not the manager. When will everybody realize, even these national baseball reporters, it is not the manager. Watch the games. Watch this team. It is not the manager. It is not Grafal. It's Rick Hunt. It's Kenny Williams, it's Jerry Reinsdorf, and it's these damn players who just are not performing for whatever reason. And I give the White Sox credit. They've certainly improved in their past 30 games versus how they started. And I wish them the best. I hope they run the table and somehow win this division. I do. Not because I'm a fanboy, but because the story would be amazing. And it would bring excitement to this fan base who has been starved and who's really, unfortunately, been lied to. Because they were told this rebuild would be huge, and so far all they've gotten out of it is one winning season. That's it. One. Or I guess two if you count the COVID pandemic year. I don't. So one. Yikes. You were promised a Cubs type of dynasty. You really were. You were sold on that. And although it wasn't necessarily communicated from management, we all kind of thought it was going to happen. We saw all these young players coming up. Luis Robert, Oscar Colas, Yermin Mercedes, if that name rings a bell. All these young guys, Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, Tim Anderson, Jake Berger, Michael Kopak, Carson Fulmer at the time. He was a part of the plans. And not a lot of that worked. You got one year to show for it. That, in my mind, is a failure. And... 
if I were running that team, I would give everybody one more year, like they are getting right now, and then I would fire everybody. Kenny Williams would be gone. Rick Hahn would probably be gone. Pedro would stay, and I would get rid of some of these players on this team who either don't want to be here or are not showing 100% effort or who are not performing. And bring in players who want to be here and who want to perform. It really is not that hard, nor is it that controversial. The controversy would be, Pedro, you're out, one and done, it was your fault. There's controversy. So I appreciate Rick Hahn coming out and saying this is not true. And I want to believe him, I really do. But I know the trajectory of GMs and executives publicly backing managers. Usually it never ends well. In the NFL, if a coach is being publicly backed by their owner or GM, they're going to be fired soon. Matt Rule, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury. We could go back and forth about all these coaches who've been backed publicly and then they get fired. So this report coming out again from John Heyman, there is credibility to it. I believe it. John Heyman's a great reporter. I believe that this could have a hint of truth to it, which means that there are people inside the White Sox organization who may want to see Pedro be the full guy, be the one-and-done guy. I'm here to say right now, in June, that would be total BS. That would be completely wrong. It'd be unfair to Pedro. It'd be unfair to this White Sox team. And it would mask the true problem, which are the executives and the players, not Pedro. What proves it? What vindicates it? Well, Tony LaRusso. Tony last year went 500 with this same group of players, and Tony's a Hall of Fame manager, and he got fired. They hired Pedro Graffol, who has no managing experience whatsoever, to replace a Hall of Famer. And he's not winning with them. What's the common denominator? The owner, the executives, the players, not the manager. Think of anybody managing this team right now, they'd still be 9 or 10 games under 500 because they aren't performing. They aren't playing. Nobody, with the exception of a very few, are truly living up to their expectations. So it's a shame to see Pedro being dragged through the mud for really no fault of his own. I'm appreciative of Rick Hahn sticking up for him publicly. But I hope everybody sees this today. White Sox fans, I hope you see this today. We're in June, late June, not even near the trade deadline yet. And there are reports from sources saying that Pedro could be a one and done. If that were to come true, that would be a joke. Pedro Griffel needs to stay. And if the White Sox want to blame anybody about their struggles, and about why things didn't work, maybe, just maybe, they should look at themselves inwardly and not at Pedro. Thanks for watching today's show here on Sports Talk Chicago. Appreciate all of you tuning in. Subscribe to the channel for more Chicago sports content. Big thank you to John Meadows, directing and producing. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago and help out our sponsor, Amish Country Farms. So long, everyone.